episode 26 of the Assassin Rider podcast. It is here. We are one podcast over the 25th at quarter century mark. We're kind of in our mm. mid-20s now, Tim. We're kind of hitting our, our hitting our stride. We're not making the same mistakes we were as we're 19, 20, 21, okay? But we're still mad about paying taxes. And this is the last episode that we can actually get healthcare underneath our parents, you and me. And guess what? We're kicking them off the bill. They got to go, okay? Uh, we're going to talk about the Lakers. Yes, the Lakers, the Los Angeles Lakers are NBA champions. We'll, we'll, we'll break the series down. We'll talk about it. Uh, we are in October. We're getting postseason baseball. Some folks didn't think we are going to make it here, but Major League Baseball is in the postseason. We have a World Series. We're going to talk about it. On our cups this week is a double IPA from Escondido, California, and uh, Imperial IPA. Uh, from right here in Connecticut, from Stubborn mm. Beauty, called Nummy Nummy. Oh boy, it's an IPA too. For these are my favorite types of episodes. Listen, you all know that we appreciate the support, but you can go out there and strum up your own support for the Stats and Matter podcast. Follow us on social media at Stats Podcast on Twitter and at Stats and Matter on Instagram. You can get Stats and Matter wherever you find your podcast: Apple, Stitcher, Google, Spotify, and the World Wide Web. With that being said. Let's get into the show. As far as not making the same mistakes, shout out to everybody who called me out for the uh, Windows notifications you heard two podcasts ago. Uh, just keeping it real. That's all. Yep. Let's go. Same thing. Let's go. All right. Hi. Listen, Tim, the Lakers are NBA champions. Okay. Now, from the last time you go back a few pods, we said the finals were off to a damn good start, and then we didn't talk about the finals because uh, newsflash: a lot of people think that nobody is really watching it because it's a uh, a consequence of the woke NBA. But that's not really the fact. Okay, there's a lot of good shows out there, and no one really wanted to see this matchup, right? We wanted to mm-hmm. see Lakers Celtics. Lakers, you're welcome because the Celtics beat up on the Heat enough for you to go ahead and win this series four two. Okay, now after trailing by 13 points, Lakers came back, and at, at one point. By 32 points, never copped up the lead in game one, okay? Yeah, you said the NFL injury bug, hop sports, and that's exactly what happened. Um, Dragic and Adebayo, foot and shoulder, and they missed games. Jimmy Butler had to make up all of it. And Tyler Hero, he had a lot of antics against the Celtics. He was heroic, okay? That's an mm-hmm. automatopoeia for the, uh, for the folks out there when a word sounds like what it is. There were large stretches of this series where the Heat, just for being outscored by double digits, like 20 or more. And they were mm-hmm. like both Hero and Adebayo or Dragic or Butler were just like missing. Okay. The Heat got smoked in game two, 124 to 114. It was in game three where they finally found somewhat of a stride. Okay. They led every quarter and they won at 115 to 104. Jimmy Butler has many points in that game, 40, as LeBron and AD did combined. So you look at what they had. Morris and Kuzma provided the Lakers with a needed spark off the bench, but it was really just to replace Dwight Howard. Danny Green and Caldwell Pope combined for 11 points. So you want to get your playmakers in there, okay? Game four is where the fireworks happened. There were some Black Mamba jerseys that a lot of people thought you probably brought out of the closet way too early, got a little cocky. And even to go, even though the game was close, like you got the feeling that the Lakers thought they had it in the bag. It was in the way that they played and the way they called timeouts. And then – in what most people would see as an absolute move of selflessness, LeBron cleared out a lane and gave it to a wide-open Danny Green. Here's the three from the top. Go ahead, win us the game. And he missed. 
turnovers, other mistakes, allowed the Heat to sneak that win, and then another one, okay, which prevented the Lakers from winning in five. So we look like geniuses for saying Lakers in six, but it should not have been that way because even with Dragic coming back for game six, the Lakers had decided they'd seen enough and that they'd had enough. And by the end of the second quarter, it was 64-36 Lakers. And they kept their foot on the gas just enough. And now here they are, hoisting their 17th trophy, as many as the Boston Celtics have in franchise history. So a lot of murmurs about AD being the MVP, but LeBron did LeBron things, which we expected. He went home with his fourth championship and his fourth finals MVP. MJ did the same. Let's appreciate the fact that LeBron James went to the finals 10 years in a row, an entire decade of going to the highest game in the sport. Now you can say, hey, cool. He only won three of the 10 years that he went. He also faced a lot of really, really devastatingly like good teams. Mm -hmm. Okay. And now he's got his fourth final. He's building what I would call like an Avengers type squad. And he brought home the championship in the bubble. You can say it was not really the best season, whatever it may be. Okay. But is six rings really that far away now that he's got four? I, I don't think so. I think he has to get a Kraken, though, because a retooled Warrior squad with the second overall pick in this year's draft, a newly helmed Clipper squad, Tyron Lou, the Nuggets. I mean, this division is not, and this conference is not necessarily going to be the easiest one going forward. I have to give credit to the Lakers. You made plays when it needed to count. You got cute. You let you let a good team kind of beat up on you a little bit. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily know that this is the best style of games that you want to win, but I do think for this coronavirus season in the bubble that the NBA put together an actually really solid product, all things considered. I think that, you know, the way that the outbreak started out, having the bubble, maybe the food's different. How's it going to work? I did hear that Clay Thompson's father, who is an executive producer on The Last Dance, was also in the bubble, and they have film which means we're going to see a coronavirus last bubble style documentary. And I, as you would say, my body's ready for it. (laughs) Yeah. The playoffs. I mean, obviously we're a little late to this podcast, um, but I think the most surprising thing for me is if you look back at all of their series, especially the series against the heat, um, you look back at rebounds, you look back at points, and the only game where LeBron or uh, Davis weren't one of those two leaders was game three. And that's game three where he won 115, 104. But LeBron James and Anthony Davis in all the games in which they were point leaders scored pretty much 30 to 40 points per game in rebounds in which games that either of those two guys led. They had 12 or more rebounds in every single one of those games. The only one is the is game three, where Butler, not only did he average the most amount of rebounds, he had 11, but he also scored 40 points. But game one, game two, game four, and game six reads like, you know, video game characters, 34 points for Davis, 13 rebounds for, uh, for James, <clears throat> or 33 rebounds. And 14, all right, sorry, 33 points for James and 14 rebounds for Davis in game two. And it literally flip-flops almost exactly like that other than game five where LeBron had 40 points and 13 rebounds. 
it was a group effort. And by group effort, I mean those two guys. Those two guys literally willed the team to the championship. And you kind of knew at the start of it that that was likely what was going to happen. You saw a couple teams sort of flirt with greatness, if you will. But ultimately, you know, there was just no competing with that team. Um, I know the memes. I agree with a lot of the memes. If you look and compare, and this is a whole podcast for another time, if you're trying to compare James to 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 Jordan, it would be like Jordan joining a team with Larry Bird and Magic Johnson, right? And and then saying that Jordan was the greatest player of all time. I think this is actually a little bit of a moment for Anthony Davis to shine, who is already a superstar in his own right coming into this. Um, and he's opting out of his of his you know one year deal next year. He's he's going to sign a contract. Hopefully it's max. Yeah. You know, yeah, they're he's... they're going to get some some new folks in free agency. I think that's the style we're going to see. Right? Yeah, it's we have the old grizzled veteran. He brings in some guys like Rondo and some situational type players, and that's how they're going to win games. And until you stop it, you're going to continue to do it. And what what's funny, I think is. Because so much focus was on LeBron, and obviously the next biggest comparison was uh, Anthony Davis, but someone who kind of like sneaky flew under the radar was Rondo. Rondo had... I thought you were going to say Alex Caruso, and I was going to say, no, stop the recording. (laughs) No, no. I think, I honestly think Rondo had a pretty stellar uh, postseason coming into this. And, you know, for a team that didn't have a lot of people who were able to come off the bench, I do think that he was one of the integral parts of making that work, right? You didn't really have a lot of people to rely on, but he was one of those guys who came in who could put up points. Was he vintage Rondo? No, he wasn't vintage Rondo, but he still did well enough to keep them in contention when either LeBron or Davis wasn't in a position to to put up numbers. So I think this is going to go down and help cement his legacy. I mean, obviously his time with the Celtics sort of propelled him to this stardom. He kind of didn't fall to obscurity, but kind of fell away uh, a little bit, I would say, coming into uh, this season, or at least when he joined the Lakers. But he really pulled it together. I thought he did a really good job um, going in as the season. Uh, sorry, as the postseason kind of went on further and further. So, uh, I, I I hope he gets a little bit more attention than what he was getting. Uh, he's just as old as LeBron James. He's like two years shy. So he shot almost, you know. 390, uh, you know, 390%, or sorry, he was, his average, 390%. Yeah, 390, I was like, damn, bro. (laughs) His average for the season shooting-wise was 388. I mean, that's pretty damn good comparative to, you know, what a lot of other teams had coming off the bench. Um, I, I, I think, you know, when we're talking about not having a big supporting cast, I know he didn't put up a lot of points in general especially in that last series i think he was around like between 45 and and 50 points i think his points mattered when he put them up and he helped get them to the point where they won so 
he's one of those sort of we'll call, we'll call him a little bit of an unsung hero was he fantastic no but was he a good supporting piece yes i think i, I think he was but i mean the third person on the scoring list for the Lakers had 77 total points in the last series. Anthony Davis alone had 150, and LeBron had 100. <laughs> and LeBron, if, if Davis had 150, how many do you think LeBron had? Just a guess. 225. Not quite. 180. 179. So he had 179 points. Uh, Davis had 150 points. So you know, 300 plus points between those two. And then it quickly falls off after that with uh, Caldwell oh. Pope having 77, Rondo 52, Kuzma 51, Danny Green 45. And then it just continues to kind of fall after that. So, um, you know, the craziest not, thing. What's that? If Lonzo Ball had just listened Hmm. to LeBron, you'd be an NBA champion right now. But instead, yeah. he's going to play for the Pelicans. Oh, it's, it's, it's fantastic. The big well, ball brand. Can't stay is, healthy. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I think they're poised. If they make a couple moves in the offseason, uh, maybe fill in like one more spot, bring in that Ray Allen type player who's reliable from the three-point line. I think this is unfortunately setting the Lakers up to be uh, a perennial championship contender not just the postseason contender i think they'll do well because let's compare them to the heat right in that same stretch of games there's only one player on that team that had 100 points or more and we can all guess who that probably is jimmy Jimmy butler now they have a lot of the ceiling for them is pretty high because their second point leader is the young man tyler hero with 88 points Granted, he didn't break that 100-point mark, but being a quiet guy coming from obscurity and putting up that many points in your first playoff championship is pretty huge, which means he's got a lot of upside. So the Heat's going to be those team is going to be one of those teams that comes back and tends to do well. They need more players on that team. I mean, other than Tyler, uh, Duncan Robinson had 75, and then everybody below them had 67 or less points for the entire series. Obviously, that's not going to match up against a team like that. But, you know, if we're looking at both sides of the coin here, if we look at the flip side of that coin, it then goes to the conversation we've been having about how these quote-unquote super teams, I feel, should pull from your legacy a little bit because, you know, your second best player on that team still put up, you know, more points than every player on the other team by a wide margin. So if that's the case, you should stop trades like that from happening. But the way that the NBA is set up now, uh, I mean, LeBron, like you said, is only going to need to convince one other person. Like, can you imagine? And I don't think this would happen because I Mm -hmm. I think of the Warriors, Cavs, bloodbath between them. But if a guy like Iguodala decided to say, "Uh, I'll I'll go hang with the Lakers, I'll go win another ring. They would would clean house. They, they, They really would. Like, you're talking... Very, very, very strong facts, hashtag facts, about the drop-off from AD to LeBron is is barely noticeable, right? But the drop-off from AD to the rest of the team is striking. And all they have to do is continue to just recycle enough you know, veterans who can come under the cap minimum, who can produce in limited spurts, and just let those two 
kind of be the focal points of the game plan and you don't really have much to worry about. So yeah. the league as a whole should be cognizant of this. And now I don't think there's going to be like a top, uh, you know, a top player that's just going to go and just defect to the Los Angeles yeah. Lakers. But could a guy like Isaiah Thomas decide he wants to come out of retirement, you know, whether it's self-imposed or not and, and decide he wants to play for the team, he could. You know what I mean? A guy like again, Iggy. You put Iggy in that team, and I think it's <laughs> it's unstoppable. Yeah. I thought I thought Howard would be that guy, but I mean, he was pretty much non-existent through most of the playoffs. He came in in sort of pivotal moments and and helped make some stops, but he only had 17 points for that entire series. Uh, and from three-point range, man was batting a thousand. Uh, he had almost no attempts though, so it is what it is. But he uh, <laughs> was one for one. Um, but I thought, I thought that would be the guy or like Rondo might be that guy or Kuzma might come in and really start making some moves because he was sort of like the guy on their bench that you could turn to and say, okay, you're not a big name player, but you, you've showed, you know, some flashes in the pain over the last few years. But yeah, if they get one more guy who slides into that roster, who is of an all-star caliber, it's a joke. I mean, it's, Ova. it's not even going to be Ova. close. Ova. That's what, that's what would happen. If you want to, if you want to say it like you're a guy from the Northeast, um, ultimately we'll, we'll have to see what will go on next year. Obviously, I think the Celtics would have been the prime matchup. I think that that the Celtics could have taken it to seven. Um, they had the, they had the talent, they had the pedigree, they just couldn't put it together. Um, unfortunately, the Heat had the talent, but they didn't have the pedigree to take in the distance. Uh, and and that's always going to show up in these in these big series games like this, bubble or not. Um, mm-hmm. It was nice, but this is the thing, right? Everyone, like I I started off the segment with this thing because people are just like, oh, well, it's because the NBA is so woke and they don't want to, you know, couch out of China or insert XYZ thing, okay? This is from the sports media watch, okay? This is a chart. This is how sports viewership trend has gone down this year over last year. The NBA finals. Down 49%, end over end from last year. Now you're thinking, wow, that's a lot. But then also remember the finals we had last year versus the finals we had this year, okay? Here's some other stuff that's gone down because all but three sports have gone down by double digits in viewership, okay? Yep. Negative 61% Stanley Cup finals. Almost three quarters of the of the fans who watched last year's Stanley Cup final said, nah, fam, we're good. We're not watching it this year. The preakness, the triple crown, 56% less. When people aren't getting their chance to go wear floppy sun hats and get drunk in Kentucky and watch horses racing, they're not gonna want to watch the NBA finals. Debates or no debates in yeah. election year or no election year. It's not because people are woke or saying Black Lives Matter and all sort of stuff. That that's that's false. You can't push that narrative. People are watching less TV because you're kind of burned out from the fact that that's what we did in the beginning part of this pandemic, okay? Mm-hmm. U.S. Open, negative 42%. MLB division, down 40%. College football, even though college football is back, down yep. 30%. The only three sports that have actually gone positive viewer ratings from last year to this year, WNBA Finals, up 15%. Shout out to the Seattle Storm. And the other two are the the PGA. The PGA Hmm. Championship got 3% more views this year. And the PGA Tour as a whole, non-majors, CBS only, 
17% end over end from last year. So let's let's take a look at this. Golf and the WNBA are getting more viewers. That has nothing to do with them being woke because all of the sports and all the companies across the United States have been more socially conservative and talking about the things that they didn't talk about before. They're saying, yep. look, we were socially conservative before. We don't think that's a good idea. We're coming out. We're going to say Black Lives Matter. And then for people to say, oh, it's because they're being political. It has nothing to do with no. that. No. It has to do with the fact that you would rather watch Emily in Paris or the Great, the great British Baking Show than Game 4 of the NBA Finals because you have other stuff that you're doing with your life. That's what yep. it comes down to. A lot of dads turning the uh... – Turning the PGA tours on while they're working on their Thursdays and Fridays when normally you'd be in the office. Don't don't pretend I don't see you, because I'm doing the same thing. Yeah, I was gonna um, say don't don't pretend you don't see you pointing in the mirror at yourself. Yeah, no, I I 100 percent believe it. I mean, I think some of the niche not I don't, I don't want to call it a niche sport because I know that's going to cause some blowback. But the WNBA doesn't have as broad of an audience as the NBA or some of the others. Let's be honest, we just but it's we growing. Just, we just gave you the statistics to show that that's not us being biased. That's statistically what it is. Their viewership is lower than some of the other sports. Um, that doesn't make it a niche sport. No, it just meant that before when you had to pick and choose what you were watching because your television time may have been limited for whatever reason, work, uh, family, didn't matter. You had to pick and choose what you wanted to watch and you had your favorite teams no matter what. WNBA isn't as widely known as some of those other sports. You can make any argument you want about whether or not it should be. That's not the conversation we're having right now. What we're having right now is what you normally sit down and watch and how it compares to years before. A lot of people are probably burned out by watching more sports than what they were probably used to at the start of all this. And now they're like, oh, shit, I watched like 20 baseball games this season where I'm used to watching like. 10 throughout an entire season okay maybe i can take a couple off um some people couldn't get over the fact that there were you know artificial fans in the stadium and things like that but i think if you're someone like the pga where you have the pga has already taken a pretty hardcore crowd so has the wnba where your fans are going to tune in no matter what the no upside, matter what yep yeah the upside is is there for you because now you have a chance of bringing in some folks who may not have watched it because they didn't have the time. So now they're going to start tuning in. You have PGA viewers who can now watch while they're at home because if you're in the office doing whatever your job might be, you might not have a TV at your desk and they may frown upon you watching your phone all the time, but you turn on your television and you happen to walk out of your office to look at it every now and again. Uh, that's obviously going to do better for you now we didn't look at what weekend compared to weekday stats are so we don't know if that's skewed i can see because seven, stats don't matter yeah that's right i can see a seven to 14 percent swing just coming on those weekdays where games are normally played i know the wnba isn't always like prime time at night sometimes it, it's off hours so being at home isn't necessarily a bad thing for them either but i could see how if you're following any of the big you know we'll call it the big four sports basketball baseball hockey and football uh i could see how you could get burned out on some of those pga over the last probably 20 years you know 30 years even with the rise of tiger and then the younger guys like rory brooks kepka dustin johnson uh you know spieth all those guys seems like the viewership gets younger and younger and younger 
which is a good thing because it used to be like my dad watching and my grandfather watching, my uncle's watching, and then me being bored out of my mind. But now I watch it, and now my five-year-old is a little bit more interested in it because now I'm watching it at a younger age. And I think if you watch a PGA event, you see more and more like young kids that are there. So kids are home now. They're tuning in a little bit more frequently. You have this you know, social awareness that's going on where you do want to start paying more attention to uh, you know, female leagues, you want to see women succeed in a lot of these events. So people are, are actively choosing to tune in versus watching the same thing all day, every day that you've been watching, you know, your entire life. Like me, I didn't take the baseball bubble all that seriously. I didn't watch a ton of games. I still think it's a little bit of sort of a sham year because we're going to go over it in just a second when we talk about baseball, but you know, some of these records are like, 30 and 20 like that's not a playoff team come on let's get out of here yeah but, I, I agree with you i agree with you but and, at the and, same time we didn't we had no sports and then we had sports yeah. trickling back like you know the counterpoint to the WNBA is that remember the the nba started by traveling then they had the mm-hmm. rudy gobert outbreak then they shut it mm-hmm. down then they decided to move into the bubble the WNBA played their entire season in the bubble yep regular and postseason um, and look, as much as I give you a grief for golf, um, <laughs> I have been there on Saturdays and Sundays going, there is absolutely nothing. I can't watch this episode of ridiculousness for the 85th time in a row. Um, I think I'm going to pop on. I'm just going to watch part of this, part of this, part of this golf. I, I want to see, I watched the tiger Phil Brady Manning thing because it was content. And, and I think that sports that have realized, okay, there's viewership here. We can go and get our message out and we can go and, and make use of this. That's that's what it is. Where most fans might think sports is my escape and I don't I don't want to care about social justice initiatives. Like, okay, 1995 happened. I'm glad you were alive for it. But we're in 2020. Things are a little bit different now, boss. Like the game is not played the same. Um, and I don't necessarily think that you can just write off sports and just say, oh, they're too woke. That's that's why. Like, oh, come on, man. It's just it's 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 mostly based off the fact that you're tired of watching whatever you watch. Now, this is the thing. I was unpacking, right? Because I got a house, and I found season one and two of the Chappelle show uncensored. I had a strong <laughs> conversation with myself in the mirror the other night about watching a Thursday night game or watching just binge watching season one of Chappelle show. Because that's a classic. So that's already one viewer that they wouldn't have gotten. For a low-rated game, anyways, you can't just yep. take ratings. They're not the same, right? Like people aren't paying to watch that that specific event in the way that they would pay to download a song or buy a record. So you can't trust yeah. those numbers. It's just not the same. You can't just yeah. say, "Oh, the viewership is down forty percent." It's because they're hashtag woke. No, it's not. And it doesn't matter who you're supporting politically. If you look around all businesses now, they're all quote unquote woke. I don't know the last time I drove down the road and saw businesses with political signs out in front strapped onto the front of their building. So if you're trying to go down the road saying that it's woke, that just means it has it's expressing a political view that you don't agree with. And that's some bullshit if I've ever heard of it. Just because someone is expressing a political ideology that's different than yours isn't a reason to to tune them out. That's not what democracy is. That's not what we're doing here. We're trying to come up with like an even playing field where I'm going to listen to, you know, let's take any one of the Southern college football coaches who have come out in support of Trump or, 
whether or not they believe in COVID or not. I'm still trying to listen to them. I'm still trying to watch their games because I want to know how that pans out. Their political thoughts have nothing to do with a bunch of guys or girls playing some sport of glorified game on my television. So stop that nonsense. Mm-hmm. Pump mm-hmm. the brakes. Mm-hmm. If you're going, if you're going to boycott or quote unquote boycott any business or organization that comes out with any sort of political affiliation, you better be doing that across the board or you're a hypocrite. If you go to your mechanic and he has a Trump or Biden sign out front, yet you take your business there, but you're not going to sit and watch a football game because they take a knee, get out of here. You're being a hypocrite. You're just going against, you're drawing your political line in a way that follows your political motives but you are not being less woke or less aware. You're just picking a side for the sake of picking a side. So pump the brakes, everybody. Yeah. Pump the brakes. And and this is the last thing I'll say about this. I have been a casual fan of a lot of sports. Mm-hmm. So the awakening during this pandemic in which I was fortunate to not have, you know, a job loss or, you know, a change in income or any of those things, I wasn't affected in the way that other people were. So I decided to sort of support people and organizations where I could. And then, you know, I took a look at it and I said, well, instead of watching the same show for the 10th time, why don't I pop on golf? Why don't I watch this WNBA game? Mm-hmm. I wasn't turned off by the fact that there were social justice initiatives that were taking place in those games. I was drawn to the game because they are something that I have not seen before. Remember, <laughs> cornhole on TV was not a thing for a long time. And now it kind of is in limited spurts. Okay. It used to be kind of like, we'll just have a day. And now there's like programming. I'm a cornhole player. I will watch it on TV. Am I going to watch it over The Bachelor or The Bachelorette? No, because I have priorities. Like, you know, me and my wife want to watch those stories. Don't raise your eyebrows there. I'm not watching the Johnson ACL Cornhole Championships over trying to figure out if Claire's going to find love. It's not happening. Right? Spoiler alert, because that one guy on the internet <laughs> seems to spoil it for everybody. Yeah, and you guys all read. The, I know you. You guys all read the spoilers. You know what's coming, but you can't stop watching it. So don't give me true. your waiting yes. to see His what's happening. His name is Reality Steve. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I read the articles, <laughs> listen to the guy. podcast, everything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that I, I I see the train crash. I I go to the site and I see it for myself. Anyways, yeah. like I'm saying, uh, sports very good. We're almost to the point I think where we could start kind of getting some fans back in the stands. A lot of these things were almost going to return. Yep. I think in the next four to five months is some sort of normalcy where we're getting back and we're going to like, you know, I mean, it's weird. Like, Hey, you want to go to the movies? Like, nah, I can't do that. Like I really wanted to see the Patriots Seahawks game this year in Seattle. Couldn't do that. I really hope I get to a point where the time, the next time the, the Seahawks come and play a team around here that I get a chance to go buy a ticket, even how expensive it may be. I'll sit in the nosebleeds just because I want to be back with the fans and everything. But we all got to do our part. You know what I mean? It's just like, and that means I got to watch. I got to support. I got to follow them on the socials. I got to listen to Stats the podcast. And then I, I got to go from there. So let's <laughs> let's get off our, our, our woke stump. I'm, I'm sure people will be fast forwarding to this, but oh well. And we got October baseball. Oh, baseball. We actually made it. 60-game season, there was the fleecing of the minor league. We had the podcast guest on. We talked about it. The Giants are rebuilding. But we finally are at the World Series. Tampa Bay Rays, Los Angeles Dodgers. Let's Mm. go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. October baseball. Every night, starting pretty much at like 8 o'clock. I think the first game is tonight. Yes? Uh, Yeah, I think so. 
Hmm. I will be busy watching the Bachelorette, so I, I will follow from my <laughs> from my phone on the Yahoo Sports app. But uh, no, you won't. He's gonna be enthralled with love <laughs> and other drugs or whatever. That was a good movie. Yeah. Um, listen, <laughs> just a couple quick quick bang bang thoughts before we get into the Dodgers and Rays. What can I say about the Yankees? Look, they're going to be perpetually good, and sometimes their best is going to be good enough. They got a big old payroll. They got all kinds of talent. But sometimes that doesn't matter when they run into a team like Tampa Bay that plays their ass off and says, to hell with your cap spending. We're sending you in your payroll packet. Really appreciate mm. it. Slam Diego, they were good until they ran into the Dodgers and had no slams to speak of. I mean, if there's ever a time to get hits and runs, maybe don't save them all for game two of the wild card, okay? but they're going to be good next year for sure. The Reds, shout out to Nick, podcast fan. The Reds are the pride and the joy of the Cincinnati, the old natty. How about not scoring a single run in two games against the Braves? 11 hits in game one that went to 13 innings to have no runs. That's not how you want to lose a game, okay? That really hurts. And then you give up fourth, you give up four runs in the eighth inning of game two in the wild card. That's going to be a backbreaker. Now, Atlanta won their first postseason series in 19 years. I'm thinking Chipper Jones is probably the guy that was on that team the last time they made it there, which makes you and I ancient. Folks, mm-hmm. go to the Google sphere, Chipper Jones, okay? Where Red fans, Reds fans may be upset with how they exited this postseason, I think the resignation of Dick Williams as the president of baseball operations is likely what's kind of getting them worried the most, all right? From the worldwide leader, he re- has helped them reach the postseason four times, and they won NL Central Division titles in 2010 and 2012. He's credited with bringing their, their scouting, their strengthening, uh, conditioning, and their farm system, analytics, all of that. He brought that up. Now, it sounds like you know in the early 2000s, you should have already had that, but the guy made the change, okay? Now, the Reds are kind of setting out for the long term, and while eight years without a division title may seem like forever, they were second this year. So they only have to trim a couple things, okay? They're going to get the 17th pick in next year's draft. What does that mean? It means they're not a terrible team, and they get a chance to go back. Trevor Bauer is going to do some good things. They're going to build upon it next year, but, ugh. So my wife and her entire family, although I, I take my wife's fandom with a grain of salt, I think she was just raised this way. Not a knock against her parents, but maybe a knock against her parents. But they're all Yankees fans because uh, my wife's family, uh, her mother and family are all from New York. So they're all Yankees fans. One of the first dates we went on was a, a Sox-Yankees game, but my wife could not name, I think, five players on that team. So I don't fault her for it. I'm going to win her over slowly. So <laughs> she'll be Team Red Sox, maybe. My son, my son had a little bit of a scare where he was trying to push my buttons and root for the Yankees one night, but... On his own, he kind of root. I told him, "All right, whoever you want, you can go to Yankees games with mommy if you want." Um, and now he roots for Red Sox, but it is what it is. Uh, boom, so boom, it brings boom. it brings me no small level of joy to say uh, good riddance because anybody who looked at this postseason assumed it was going to be Yankees Dodgers just because of their payroll, because of everything else that goes into what is the Yankees organization. Uh, and then they just literally shit the bed. Like they came up very, very, very short against the team that, uh, had no business going up against a team like the Yankees. Uh, I mean, if you're looking at Yankees Dodgers, 
the Rays are literally as David as David could get if those other two teams are uh, Goliaths because their spending is on the like bottom portion of what the rosters are across the entire league. Uh, they went up against three teams. They're going to face all three of the first, second, and third highest spending teams on their way to a championship if they manage to pull this off with the Dodgers, the Astros, and the Yankees. But the big story is that the Yankees literally just, you know, failed to show up when they needed to. You had one pitcher who was uh, below three uh, as far as ERAs go, um, and that was Jordan Montgomery with a 2.25. Other than that, your your lowest ERA was Garrett Cole, who was supposed to be, you know, your shining light and the guy to take you to the promised land. He gave you a 3.18. So while those aren't terrible, uh, we talked early on about this being sort of a pitching duel throughout the postseason because your bats tend to be... Uh, semi-inconsistent it i mean it is what it is the the rays came in they had a lower average era um you know they had one or two guys that really john curtis uh who came in in relief and gave up 19.29 era so uh the team averages is a little bit skewed but if you if you remove the the top two eras the, it's not even close. The Rays drastically outpitched the the Yankees roster, um, and you had a couple big hits from the Yankees, but for the most part, it just wasn't it wasn't there. It wasn't the team that you were expecting going into it. Um, it wasn't the team you sort of some of the players who did well weren't the players you thought were gonna shine. Some of the players you thought were gonna shine didn't uh, judge hit. 143 for the series that's not going to do you any good um it was just sort of i mean you expected sanchez to kind of fall off a little bit he did okay he was he batted 316 for the the series but that big sort of glaring one is judge judge is sort of the the one two punch of stanton judge in that lineup and if your pitching is not carrying their weight per se and I don't want to misrepresent and say that the Yankees pitching was terrible. It just wasn't as good as the Rays pitching. Um, you have to have your bats there, and everybody knows the Yankees because of the home runs and the big numbers that they put up, and they just they just failed to do that. There's just uh, you kind of early on had that feeling that it just you know they had the first win nine to three, and they came back and lost the next two. At that point, for me, I was like, okay. I don't think they're going to win the next two of three. Uh, or They're not going to win the next two games in a row. So I knew for me, once they lost that second game, uh, sorry, once they lost that, uh, yeah, they lost that second game, I was like, this this one's over. And then when the pitching fell off, I was like, okay, this one's going to be raised, which makes for a very interesting matchup because like I said, uh, the Dodgers are also up there with some of the most expensive rosters in all of baseball. Uh, they have been to, I don't even know, it's like 13 maybe consecutive postseason appearances. So they're seasoned veterans. I know the Rays aren't, you know, complete guests when it comes to postseason. They have their seasons where they, they tend to do well, but this wasn't one of those seasons where you really expected it. I said earlier, I this postseason for me, 
doesn't feel like a true postseason because you have some of these uh, records that are like 31 and 24. You know, you have these weird numbers where you haven't even played 60 games in a lot of these circumstances. So, you know, oftentimes 60 is that threshold where you really know what a team's going to be into the second half of the season. And because we're not getting that, it, it, it feels strange. And I think you're, this is sort of a byproduct of that. Could the Rays gone on to have a stellar season if this was a regular season? Of course they could have. I mean, they put themselves in a position to do that. Uh, could the Yankees have figured their shit out and have done better in a longer season? Sure. But as we see, there's also room for the fall off. There is the other side of that streak. And I think we, we saw a little bit of that where the Yankees peaked early. And then once the postseason happened, it kind of fluttered a little bit. And then to come in and get you know beat by a team like the Rays. And it wasn't exactly like, you know, a blowout. They had the one eight to four victory, but the rest of the games are pretty close. Um, Long term, obviously, we know the Yankees are going to be fine, but I think the ceiling and the upswing for the Rays is the more surprising side here. Um, to draw a comparison, they were like the Celtics were three or four years ago. We don't have a lot of like big marquee players and you're going out and doing well. And I tend to think the Rays are one of those teams that tend to do well when they're in that position. You don't have a bunch of guys vying for the limelight and taking these big paychecks you just go out play baseball you play really good baseball i mean they have one two three guys who are above 400 batting averages i mean they have some guys who really stunk it up with like you know Margot was 111 and austin meadows was 154 but for the most part it wasn't it wasn't terrible by any one player but you you have people that can that can bat when, when it counts the most, right? The, uh, getting into the, the the series here that we have between the Dodgers uh, and the Rays for for the World Series trophy, this to me feels a lot like last year. Or, uh, yeah, last, yeah. So you, you had like the Nationals and the Astros. And on paper, the, the Nationals should not have been there, right? They were below 500 before the All-Star break. They came back, they played fantastic baseball and they get the Astros and everyone myself included I was like walking around the, I live in Virginia and I was walking around the office being like you know you guys are screwed right like <laughs> like look at that murderous row of pitchers there's no way if your bats don't come alive you're not going to win a game four to three and that's exactly mm -hmm. what happened now of course we know the reason why the Nationals won the World Series is because they were tipped off about the fact that the Astros were probably stealing their signs so they changed their signs a couple times I think during during the series, and that way the home team never really like was in danger of like losing a game. Yep. It was a great series. Of course, now we look back at it, we, we can't really put an asterisk on it because the Astros should have known what was coming, and they didn't, and they couldn't beat the Nationals. The Nationals of a team that was under 500, right? So when you look at this series, Dodgers raise. The Dodgers spend more on Clayton Kershaw than the race to in their entire pitching lineup. Right. And there's always been this 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 knack about, oh, there's playoff Kershaw. He just collapses in the postseason. Like, is that going to happen again this year? I'm not sure. But I do know that for a team like the Dodgers, who a couple seasons ago when they faced the Red Sox and they were in an 18 inning marathon game. OK. And the Red mm -hmm. Sox threw everything they had at them. The Dodgers couldn't respond. The Dodgers went out and made sure they couldn't find themselves in that scenario. OK. They went out and they got hitters. They got Mookie. They have all these other guys that are just like leading off the bat and getting the hits and keeping them competitive in games. Now, you got a little hairy here. 
in the postseason because in this last series, like you would you'd think that the Dodgers would have come alive. They come out and they they put up 11 runs in the first inning and then do nothing the next game. You're in the series now. You're trying to get the trophy. You don't really want to be making those types of mistakes. I want I want so bad to believe that the Rays have this, but I'm not sure I see it. I think it's like a I think it's like a like a five like a <laughs> like a five one or a five two like series. Like I think the Rays can can keep it interessante for sure, but I just think that the Dodgers after barely getting by their last opponent after having all that firepower, after spending all the money that they did on the team to put it in a position to get here, they are in a, in a sense world series or bust. And you have another team who didn't spend that, but is doing the money ball approach and who might not necessarily have the firepower. Now, does that seem like a great scenario you want to be in? I don't think so, but that, that's just me. I'm, I'm just, I'm just a, a baseball pessimist, if you will. <laughs> yeah. I, it's tough. The Dodgers have, you know, a couple guys in their roster who are really not carrying the team, but are just humbling the rest of their division. And it all comes down to one guy, and it hurts me to say it, but you're gonna know you're gonna you know who I'm gonna say, and it's gonna hurt both of us. But Mookie Betts has just been a all star. I thought early in that I actually thought they were gonna lose that last game. Um before that game started. I reached out out to a a couple of my baseball friends. We talked about the game a little bit and I was like, you know, I don't think the Dodgers are going to pull this one out. They weren't, they weren't looking great going into that. Um, So I think they did show a little bit of vulnerability, but man, Betts had like four or five plays that really kept them in the game. One of which was robbing a home run in a game where you ended up winning by a home run. That obviously is is a game changer there. So that man, he leads in in war, which is wins above replacements, meaning when he's on the field and part of that game, they win more games. It's uh it's it's a tough pill to swallow because we had him in our And grass. we just didn't pay him enough money. And now and you see that gone. they're they're trying to sell part of the part of the team to make it public. You're just like, okay. Yeah, I'm beginning to see what you were doing here, and it was called clearing the books, so you make yeah. it look like you were profitable. Okay, go yeah. ahead, get, go get your money. But was it short term or long term? Ah, I don't know. Yeah, short sighted for sure. Betts is going to keep him in this one for sure. Um, him, eh, he's just such a stellar player. Bellinger is, you know, the one-two punch where you pitch around one guy, you have the other guy. I mean. Guy hit a home run, got so excited, he dislocated his shoulder. I watched that live and was like, that didn't look right. He went up. I also don't understand sports fans or guys who play sports. I need you to reach out and let me know because what is this like jump up? I'm going to hit you with my forearm in an elevated position as if I'm throwing a pitch. That sounds like, just think about that as lo- out loud. That sounds, especially in baseball where all yeah. of your money comes on your shoulder movement like a bad idea and this was an example it probably happens more than what we think because it looked like a routine jump up do that weird forearm high five thing and he came down he immediately knew he was in pain because he duck and rolled the next guy who tried to do it and then he went directly into the clubhouse but anyway I think that's... what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to jump up and you're supposed to throw your arm forward and l and i'm supposed to throw my arm forward and l and our 
elbow pits are supposed to like link up in like a really weird like way. And that's what it's supposed to be. But if you hit someone so hard, you dislocated a, a shoulder, like, come on. Yeah. Now, I yeah. don't think that, I, again, the way that the Dodgers roster is set up, pitching. We just look at pitching. You have Kershaw. Okay, so he's not really a darling in the postseason. They got Dustin May, and they got, I see the face you made. They got the Joe Kelly, okay? A guy doesn't get a mural made after he tries to throw Buzz the Tower at 98 miles an hour and takes some dude's head off. He doesn't get a mural of himself in downtown Los Angeles, and he doesn't come back and pitch a series of his life out here. That, that just doesn't happen. Do I think they can keep it interessante for the Rays? Yeah, but this whole Tampa Bay title town thing is done. With the lightning, because ain't nobody else winning the title. That's all I got to say about that. No, I mean I I like Kelly. I think he's going to come in and be a difference maker when it's his time. But have you guys seen the meme going around uh, Kershaw compared to the Joker? I won't spoil it for you. Find it. It's amazing. Uh, I can't tell who it came from because I know they're watching. But. You can find it. You can see X Files theme here. Do, 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 yeah. Do. Um, David Duchovny yeah. shout out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you got to find Gillian it. Harris. Yeah. Uh, you got to find it. It's fantastic. Uh, basically, highlights him as the choker because he missed his start in the last series and it almost cost them the series. So uh, if he misses his start again, you know. Ugh. Moving on. We are at postseason baseball. Very happy that we finally got here. Someone on this podcast said we were never going to get here, but we did. And let's do official predictions. I, I, it's got to be Dodgers. I think they just have too much firepower, too much payroll, yeah. too much talent. Um, good for them. I mean, they've been to the the series, what, like yep. three of the last four years, right? Like you got to yeah, win one eventually. In, they made postseason appearances like the last 13 times. So, and when uh, was I, the last time the Rays went to the World Series? Yeah. So I was I, one I, years old. I was, it was 1988. So, like, uh, maybe did, we could be wrong. I did say it once before. So, you guys can't call me a homer. I said at the very beginning of this podcast, at the start of the journey, that I had a little bit of a soft spot for the Dodgers. They were the first team I went saw. I spent a lot of my growing up years in Los Angeles. <laughs> All you're doing I, is you're pandering. No, hey, I'm not a no, no, What fan. I'm saying is, is at, <laughs> If the if the socks aren't in it, I won't be overly sad. I, I I will admit I have both a Dodgers team shirt. I have a Dodgers hat all up in my closet upstairs from when I went out to I went out and visited my my family out that way. We went to a Dodgers game and I got my first signed baseball was Daryl Strawberry. Uh, not really worth writing home about now, but at the time was 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 pretty cool. So a little bit of a spot deal. spot if they pull it out. You know, I'm not entirely heartbroken. I'd rather see them over the Rays anyway because Tampa's or, or Florida's already getting too much love right now. Um, but we'll see what happens. Could be an interesting series. The Rays so, managed to pull this off. I won't so you be think mad Dodgers? Either. You think Rays? Um, I have a funny feeling the Rays might pull this one out. Oh my goodness! All right, we might have to go ahead and uh, after after game one, we might have to go uh, put a little friendly I, wager I on it. I can't, I can't get wishy washy. No, no, no. We're gonna put a wager on. We gotta put it on before this. You can't have like a sample and then try it. All right, all right. I think that the Dodgers win in. I think they win in six. Let's see, Rays took down Houston. Took you guys can't see this, but Tim is pushing his nose like all the way up through his like his, it's my his eyebrows. Face. 
Yeah. <laughs> he looks this like Peppa the Pig. This is my septum. I don't even know what that is. Uh, you know what? To make it interesting, I'll take the rays, actually. All right, let's do this. All right, deal. Boom. All right, now, Sam. Yes. Talk, talk Sam. to me about this. I, I, I know what you're about to do. Yeah. But the greatest, the five greatest boxers of all time are Dylon, Dylon. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Not Dylon, yeah. Dylon. They are uh, Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson, Mike Tyson, George Foreman, and Mike Tyson. So why are we talking about Lomachenko? Because if you're not talking about Lomachenko and Triple G, mm-hmm. I don't want to hear it. But what happened this weekend? Uh, well, from someone who says Mike Tyson is four of the best five fighters all time, that shows how little you actually watch. Don't act. Don't act like I'm going to put Floyd boxing. Mayweather in there because I'm not. I'm not doing that. You ignorant slut. Um. <laughs> <laughs> all, right, all, right, all right, all right. I take that back. Mike Tyson. Mike Tyson. Floyd Pacquiao, and then maybe, maybe viewer's choice, right in. Uh, so, <laughs> Jeff Horn. So anybody, listening. so anybody who is a casual boxing fan, cough, Sam, cough. Uh, Very casual. You Very may casual. not have known who Lomachenko was, and shame on you, because up until this fight, and still after this fight, he was the pound-for-pound pound best fighter in the entire world. He held three titles in all. Now, I know you're not a big boxing fan, but this was a big weekend. Tiafimo Lopez went up against Lomachenko in Lomachenko's first fight in 14 months, give or take, and there were four belts on the line total. It was the first time anybody's ever unified all four belts at one time. Um, it was a pretty great weekend. Uh, there should have been a pay-per-view for this, and for whatever reason, there wasn't. Top Rank decided, hey, we're going to go ahead and give this to you for free, and if this is what boxing continues to do, I am 100% here for it, because historically, every time I buy a fight, which I bought more fights than I'm willing to admit, uh they usually end up as either a snooze fest or they end early. Very few of them actually go the distance. Um, Mayweather fights obviously go the distance because he's sort of a, a duck and dive and, and get out of the way. Um, now, Lomo is known for his slow pace early in fights. He likes to, to download and spend the first few rounds kind of getting a feel for what a fighter's style is, what his tendencies are, because... If you aren't a boxing fan, one of the more interesting things about Lomachenko is that he started boxing very, very young, like four or five years old. He wanted to fight. His dad taught him his stances. And then after a few years, said, okay, you want to box? Cool. We're not boxing anymore. You're going to go spend a couple of years learning like traditional ballet in their country because he wanted them to have better footwork and better balance and better movement. So... Lomo went off, he did ballet and traditional dance for a couple of years, and then came back and continued on. And what that's done is that turned a fighter, or a turned a, who normally is very, very quick, he's very accurate, but gave him a lot of movement that's not traditional to normal fighters. Like, you see some of it. You see guys who can faint, who can move, who can get out of the way, but none of it added up or has become quite as effective as what Lomo is. And for me, I'll get into this in a little bit, but this loss doesn't really take away sort of what my opinion of him is. I think this says more about Lopez than it does 
what Lomo is, but if you've never watched the Lomo fight, uh, he is so overwhelming to a lot of the fighters that he has fought that he was given the nickname. He didn't come up with it. It was given the nickname Nomas Lomachenko because several of his opponents would go into the corner between rounds and would come out and say, like, no more, I'm done. Because what he would do, he would figure it out. He knew every punch that was coming before it would come. And not only would he step back, but he could step down into the side and when your arm is extended, it was like the Matrix. He would look at you, you would see the arm come out, and he was next to you. And before you could even pull your arm back in, you were eating a right hook or an uppercut over or under your arm that you could do nothing against because the guy was to the side and you're blocking in front of you. And he was notorious for that. He did it over and over and over. But there was some questions with some of the, the scoring from the judges. Lomachenko did wait a little longer than what he normally does. Um, the scoring was literally all over the place. That's not to say that they were wrong. I'm not trying to drum up any sort of conspiracy theories, but like one of the guys watching the fight, uh, had it at a draw. One of the other guys you could tell early on was definitely more, uh, team Lopez. So his scorecard obviously was going to go in that direction, but like some of the scores were just all over the place. There was one that was like 119, 109. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Lomo did wait too long to get involved. Up until the seventh round, he didn't land a single... Uh, he didn't land more than seven punches in any particular round. Now, again, that's somewhat similar to what his previous fights were, but you could tell he'd been off for 14 months. There was a lot of rust that was there, but when he turned it on, he was it was on, on, and it, you could tell as soon as it happened, because as soon as he flipped that switch, he was landing 19 or more punches every single round. He really took command from, like, the seventh round on. You could even say probably closer to, like, the sixth round, and I actually think the fight was a lot closer than what those scorecards would lead to believe. Um, but what I think happened, and it's just my opinion, is that because it took him a little longer to get himself involved, what happened was a lot of these judges tended to take on a little bit sort of a visual bias because Lopez looked like the more active fighter. But Lomo is very good at getting out of the way. He's very good at ducking punches. He's very good at making you miss, even though it looks like you got a hit, because his counter is one of his big ones. So, like, by contrast, Lopez threw 650 punches and only landed 183 Versus Lomo, who threw 321, but he landed 141 of those. So he was like, How do 40... you throw how do you throw 650 punches? You're throwing north of half a thousand punches and you only land a quarter of them. Yeah. And and yeah, like, was... like I I guess like not being a huge boxing fan, but just knowing that the pedigree that, that Lomo brings to the fight, how could anyone say that like necessarily that like Lopez deserved to win or not? You know what I mean? Like if if the if the point of boxing is to float like a butterfly, sting like a bee, and land more of these devastating punches. And you're getting into a point where you have all these these rounds where you're not landing shit. And then a guy yep. goes out and he throws 650? 650? Yep. What, what, when I was reading the show notes, I was like, okay, this has to be a typo. Mm. Because this guy threw 650 and landed less than 200. That means this dude is going out there wasting a ton of energy to yep. try and hit air. Like, th yep. this is the one thing that frustrates me the most about boxing. I understand it's a chess match. Maybe I like more of the 
the physical UFC kickboxing style because I want to see punches connect. But I got a hand it here. I mean, <laughs> you make someone throw 400, <laughs> 400 punches that don't hit you. Yeah, yeah. That's, that, that's pretty good. And I think this this all comes down to the biggest problem with boxing is that uh, the judging system is just antiquated. You have three people sitting around who have, most of them have never boxed. Some of them have different histories as far as fighters that they've watched. So they know a little bit more history. Like someone who's watched Lomachenko tends to watch for those misses. That's why you had some of the scorecards that were closer, like 116, 114. But Man, like the one who scored a 119-109, she had never, I don't think she had ever seen a Lomachenko fight. So she you could tell she was going just off of the motions and the movements from Lopez. And it looked impressive. Like he he was very, very fast. I think that kind of took Lomachenko off guard because a lot of times he goes up against guys who are very, very good, but they're either very strong or they're very quick or they can move well and lopez he's young he's like 22 23 years old had all of those and he had the twitch speed so one of the things he could do is when lomachenko would go to make some of those slide steps to the right or the left he could anticipate that and would throw a hit out there and would connect but i honestly think lomachenko won almost the entire second half of that fight save for maybe the last round because of the 141, or sorry, of the 183 punches that landed, 50 of those from Lopez came in the last round because they did stand in there and they slugged it out a little bit. Um, but I think this is one of those fights that Lomo's going to look back on and really be disappointed because if he had turned it on, maybe, and you never know what the reason is. Was it rust? Was he having a hard time kind of figuring out? Was it out? game plan? Yeah, you, you, you knew his game plan going into it was slow, but he waited almost like two rounds too long. And whether that, that was like getting comfortable or he couldn't quite figure something out, I don't know. But if he had turned it on like two rounds earlier, that fight, when he was on, he was on, on. And you started seeing Lopez eat some pretty big punches at one point, even early on in the fight, like second or third round, he had a really hard straight to the face that even sent his wife, like they had panned to her on the side and she was like covering her mouth because he was... He was getting it going. He was doing work. And I think if he had prolonged any further, it really stood a chance to, to do some damage there. Um, so I think Lopez deserves the win. He fought a very, very good fight. Lomachenko sat back just a smidge too long, should have turned it on. So I don't. I really don't want to disparage Lopez. I don't want to say that the judges kind of, I don't want to say they got this wrong. I could say, I'm. Removing that last round, I thought Lomachenko may have taken this one. That last round, boxing tends to be a lot of recency bias. So they say, you know, if you lose a round, but you go out strong in the last 10 seconds, 15 seconds, sometimes it can change a judge's mind. And I think that happened a little bit. Or it's like a consolation prize. And they say, oh, thanks for playing. We're glad you had enough energy to sort of, you know, sprint at the finish line. Yeah, it's the first time in, I don't know, like 20 years or something that all four belts have been unified. He's the youngest boxer that's that's ever done it. So no matter who won, it was going to be a historic event. Um, The fact that a 23-year-old took it, he's going to, you know, be a little bit of the future of what boxing is down the road. Um, Well, gosh, they need it. Because, I mean, like outside of Triple G and, and Lomo, like there isn't like a boxer that I really understand to to be like tip top, you know what I mean? And yep. that's, that's not because I don't buy fights. It's not because I don't go to places that have them on TV. It's because I don't search for them. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I would have watched McGregor Mayweather too before I probably I, before I would have watched a, a Lomachenko Lopez fight. You know, that, that's just yeah. the reality which, of it. I'm I'm just not a huge yeah. boxing fan. Yeah, which is something that needs. So I think a lot of the times, like so, top rank has one of the best cards on record. Like their fighters across the board tend to be the best in their divisions, and a lot of their fights, like Crawford, fights on the top rank card. So. Um, if you're a casual fan and you're looking to find ways to get into boxing, pick any boxer on the, the top rank roster and start following them because some of the, like Terrence Crawford, when he comes out, those are just amazing, amazing fights. I don't know. Tyson Fury is top rank. One of those big, one of the bigger heavyweights. Is also top we know, we well. don't get a, a Fury Wilder three. I, I will say I'm not, I'm not like a, a big boxing fan, but I, I, after all, like, and I got sucked in for Fury, uh, Fury Wilder too. After that, I was like, "Oh, let's go! Give me the third one." And they're like, yeah. "Nah, it's not happening." I'm like, "If are you if, sure? If you if you have one of those um, sports watching apps put out by one of the big sports watching broadcasting companies, uh, you can go back and watch some of those top rank fights. Do yourself a favor." Go back and watch some of those Lomachenko fights just because it'll give you an appreciation for what boxing is and can be. It's why I appreciate and watch boxing more than I do at UFC. Um, but if you're looking for an appreciation, go and watch those. They're fantastic. They're worth the you know they're worth the time to sit down and watch them. And put both Lopez and Lomachenko on your radar. There's going to be a rematch at some point. I'm sure of it. I'm not going to hold this one against Lomachenko. It's only the second fight he's lost. The first one was back in 2014, and it was his second fight ever. Um, I wonder if if this fight was a draw, if it would have been better for boxing as a whole. Not not saying put my little Tim Spiracy hat on, right? But like you think that this match went to Lopez, but like say you draw it based off of what Lomo did, like in the final couple of rounds there, like people would have been mad, mad, yeah. but they would have turned in sure as shit for the next one. I mean, you, you you had one of the broadcasters who said, you know, look, he's losing this fight. And then at the end of it, he's like, there it is. We knew this was going to happen. To me, this is a draw. So some professional boxers who are watching it saw it that way. <laughs> Judges oh, who never yeah. stepped foot in a boxing ring sported a different way. So it is what it is. But put those awesome. guys on your radar. Watch them as much as you can. Boxing in those lower divisions is making a comeback. I know heavyweights are doing the same, but... Those 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 smaller divisions, the middleweights, the lightweights, those are the guys to kind of keep your eyes on because those fights are fantastic and a lot of them end up being free because they're part of top rank. So do yourself a favor. Go check them out. Team Lomo all the way. I saw him live. I'll go see him live again. I'm in. Awesome possum. All right, Tim, is that favorite part of our episode, every episode, what's in my cup? I, I got a little confession to make. I like to watch a lot of movies. Okay, I took a, I took a class at USM <laughs> called Literature in the Film where we had to watch a, a movie like three times. We had to watch it once before class. We watched it once in class. It was like a Tuesday, you know, 410 to 640 class. It was long, two and a half hour class. And then we had to watch it again so we could go ahead and write like a 10-page paper on it. Comparing and contrasting what we saw in film versus off of the the text or the script that it was created off of, okay? Watched Hitchcock, yep. watched Ang Lee's Brokeback Mountain, 
watched a lot of great films. That being said, the beer I'm bringing to you this week, Fear Movie Lions, double IPA. Now, I know that Stone is one of those big craft behemoths, okay? But this is a beer you're going to find at your local grocery store anyways. Now, why I bring that up, Movies Lions, Secondhand Lions with Robert Duvall, Sir Michael Caine, Haley Joel Osment is a movie that you probably don't know anything about, but if you do, nine-year-old me is saying, go watch that film. But just think about it. The most important movies of our time, and, you know, maybe well, maybe not yours because you're like 8,000 years old, but think about mm-hmm. this, okay? The Lion King, Lion King one and a half, pretty good films. Uh, you know, Secondhand Lions, pretty good. Madagascar, also pretty good. Eaten by Lions, not a good film, but about lions in a good movie, right? There are just so many good things that come from beers that are named about lions. Everyone wants to be a lion, right? It's like it's like the king of the jungle. You're just like out there. You got the mane. You're, rawr, you're all over the place. The Detroit Lions <laughs> wish they were the Lion out. King. I'm really trying to figure out where you're going with this, but carry on. <laughs> I'm just saying Fear Movie Lions is probably a good beer. And for the most part, there's a lot of good lion movies that you shouldn't fear aha you see what i did there that yeah. was a really long roundabout way to get Strug to City. a very bad destruction <laughs> <Strug City. laughs> uh also like uh, fair enough. you know I, I was kidding the best lion movie is lions for lambs with robert redford mail street tom cruise okay shocker i, I don't know it. if i've ever first of all i every now and again you'll say something that makes me feel old um fact that you studied Brokeback Mountain when you were in college made me feel very, very old because I was out of college. And the fact that you not only referenced The Lion King one and a half, which I didn't know was a thing. Uh, Madagascar, I did see, but it came out when I was older than, you know, cartoon watching age. Um, I'm sure you were as well, but it, I, I actually don't know. Um, yeah, yeah, there's like a decade between us, boss. So, you know what I mean? Man. I feel very, very old. I now feel uncomfortable drinking with you, but we're going to no, anyway. No, because, no, 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 no. Because we're doing it for 21. the people. I'm we're doing it for the people. Podcast yeah. for the people. This is the thing. That that movie class that I took in in uh, in college, I thought, oh, sweet. I get to watch movies and write papers. This would be so awesome. Yeah. And I, I watched like the first like two Hitchcock films in that class. And I was just like, man, I see movies in a different way. I, I, I watched Brokeback Mountain three or four times. And I see that yeah. movie in a different way. I also read the text. So like you mm-hmm. study it. Now it gets to the point where my wife is like, I'm not going to the movies with you because the yeah. only thing you're going to do is do a bunch of research on the way up to it yep. and then just talk through the whole movie. She's like, I can't, I can't get behind this. So that, that class has ruined me watching movies with other people, but you yeah. know, it has, it I mean, has made me really feel it sounds good like about a good movies class. in general. It sounds like a good class because I, I feel like that's something that I tend to do anyway. I, I tend to be, uh analytical when i watch films like i'm one of those that catches mistakes when i see them in the you know continuity and when i listen to things even when i'm watching cartoons with my son like cartoon movies i'll pick out plot lines i'll be like this makes sense here's one for everybody that if you're a listener and you've seen this uh into the spider-verse one of the best comic book movies ever seriously like like top five probably top three to be honest yeah my son is obsessed with it but if you watch the movie, you see how all of them are tied together. Someone tell me why Gwen ended up at the school with Miles before Miles got his powers because she was at the school 
before he got bit by the spider. So her spider sense didn't necessarily say that Miles was one of her. So how did her spider sense? She said, my spider sense told me to go to that school. First of all, how did you get into that school? Second of all, you're running around like a superhero. How do you look young enough to get into that school? But two, there's, that's the only, well, there's a couple, but that's the biggest hole in that plot. Why did her spider sense tell her to go see Miles before Miles ever even became Spider-Man? Is she a fortune teller? Is she a psychic? Does does your spider sense tell you like weeks in advance what the future is? I gotta know these things. Spider-Man buffs. Yes. Come at your boy. Let me know. Yeah. Anyway. And, and this and this is what it's like watching a movie with me in real time. Except we're doing it on a podcast and you can edit out the things you don't want to hear. So, uh, listen. Double IPA. Unfiltered. Stone is taking a lot of heat. Uh, they tried to grow and expand. They've got places in Escondido and San, in San Diego and also in Richmond, Virginia. They want to open in Berlin. They closed that place down kind of before COVID hit. So that looks like, you know, not a decent, uh, not a bad idea. They also got into a lawsuit with Keystone Light over the use of the word stone. So you, you, you're going to get these breweries, right? They get so big like Sam Adams that like they have to send cease and desist letters to other breweries that have beers that sound similar, similar to them. names yeah right but there's one thing i can appreciate for stone brewing if i decide to go and get a four pack of stone beer while i'm at the grocery store i know exactly what i'm getting i don't have to worry about the quality i don't have to worry about beer being out of code or not being up to snuff and one of my favorite stone beers was a beer that they made a spotify collaboration list for it was with garage project they made it with habaneros and yuzu and kiwis and it had a metal playlist and i i sold the shit out of that beer when i worked at a beer store i just i loved it it was a good beer so i got a soft spot for stone pretty good i'll give this a 4.09 okay it is why are you making that face why are you making that face i, I only said 4.09 because if i said four you you would give me guff for it so i just first of all the can looks like a torpedo how how, how many ounces is that can 19 Point two. Yeah, exactly. Get out of here with your four hundred nine. We gotta, we gotta, <laughs> we gotta expand your your spuds a little bit. Um. Anyway, uh, I have stubborn beauty, but you know what? I, I don't want to rain on your parade. But the only other beer I've given below a two point five was also a stone beer. Um. Anyway, uh, stubborn. stubborn I've given, given a stone beer uh like a two and a half. It was a saison. I didn't really like it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Stubborn beauty. Uh, I'm drinking an Imperial IPA. This sucker uh, is one of the local favorites amongst the liquor store perusing. Um, it's another one from Middletown, Connecticut. Uh, I've had several of these before. Uh, you're not going to hear me open this one because like an asshole, when I took it out of the fridge, it got caught on the four-pack lid and opened just enough to spray everywhere. But uh, support the sucker out. Oh, yeah. It sounds nice and flat. It's not really flat. <laughs> it just opened already. Uh, they make a couple others. Happy Trees is one. They make a few that are pretty good. Um, historically, I think they tend to struggle a little bit maybe with some of their uh, quality control. There's a couple others around here that are like that that make pretty solid beers. But, you know, when you open a can, you know right away whether or not it's been QA checked or not. Uh, hmm. But let's try it out. Smells pretty good. It's good. It's smooth. It um for an Imperial IPA, it doesn't have that 
generally strong sort of hoppy not that that bitter follow-up you tend to get with a lot of imperial ipas because of that abv that alcohol earthiness. yeah this one is uh it's pretty good it pours a little foamy but it's light it tastes like not not taste but it feels like i don't, I don't even know how to describe this you know, sometimes when you get into some of those thicker IPAs, they feel and taste thicker. That mouth feel is a little bit more silky. I don't get any of that on here. And I'm not one of those beer snobs that's going to judge a beer based off of mouth feel. It's just surprising to me when you have a beer like this one that's 8% that doesn't feel thick as you drink it. It's it's like light, airy, but full-bodied and full flavor. Um, I'll give this one a... I'll, I'll give this one a, a three eight, three nine, a th uh, a three, three nine. eight. Yeah, it, zero to four round down, five and above round up. What well, what is stopping you from giving it a four? Huh? What is stopping because, you from giving it a four? Because I've had better beers that aren't a four. I mean, what? Ugh. We've got, is, we've got to, is, we have to figure this out. We have this like, is what it's gonna be like a two day or three day beer symposium where we like just my just taste scale, a ton of beer. My scale is legitimately on a zero to five scale, regardless of brewer feelings, because I know they're not gonna be hurt by my opinion. I'm just a shitty podcaster <laughs> with a small opinion. Um and a few hundred people listening. That's it. Um, you won't give below a three seven five because you're worried about feelings. I take the feelings no, out of it. No, 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 no. I'll it, give them a three seven five unless they're good or bad. No, that's doesn't make any sense, man. It doesn't make any sense. Give a beer a two point five if it's a mediocre beer, not a three seven five. That's a good beer. It's a good beer. Think of it as okay, Mister Movie Critic. A three point seven five movie is very different than a two point five movie, which is the halfway mark. Can we yeah, agree on I that? I probably won't watch most movies that are two and a half, though. I'll probably hit pause and turn off the TV or walk out of the theater. Okay. <laughs> okay, there you go. All right, all right, all right. Linda, listen. Okay. There it is. There's <laughs> the making, point. I have made point. the point. 2.5 should be your middle of the road. I didn't, sure. I didn't want to do this. this. I didn't really want to do this, but I actually gave six, three and a half this week. But I know you're not as un, you're not untapped as much as I am, so I didn't think you would see them, but. Yeah, yeah. You I, guys, I you have, guys are I've been attack. a little tougher. All right. I'm off to do bedtime and enjoy the rest of this beer. I want to say a big shout out to all you guys who have been listening. Uh, we had a huge uptick in reoccurring listenings and downloads over the last three weeks, which has taken both of us by surprise. We knew we had some support. We didn't realize the support was growing this much. Uh, and the amount of time it took us to get from zero to a thousand downloads. We have made it to 2,000 downloads in a quarter of that time. Um, so whoever out there is listening and doing all these downloads and spreading the word, please keep it up. If you like us, share it. I mean, we're about to go full YouTube mode here. If you like it, subscribe, hit the like button, share it with all your friends, whatever you got to do to get it out because it means a lot to us. Um, we got some cool stuff coming next week. Um, but... The reoccurring support that we get from you guys, the feedback we're getting. I've had more and more people reach out week in and week out telling us the things they like, 
poking fun at the things they didn't like, even some of the mistakes we had. If you hear a funny noise in it and you think, you know, I'm an idiot for leaving in there because I do all of our recording, I do all of our editing, Sam and I both do the production, all of these, so it's literally a homegrown thing. Tell us. We appreciate it. We it lets us know that not only you're listening, but you're also paying attention. But please continue giving us your feedback. Tell us the things you like. Tell us what you don't like. Tell us the things you think we've left out. We're here for it. We appreciate it. We love it. We love you guys. Take care of yourselves. And uh, since we're talking about movies with lions in them, okay? I can oh, see boy. your face dropping right now. Here we go. <laughs> Where is this going? Um, every MGM movie has a line in it, okay? And this, this I, I got I to gotta go out. I know you're going to just put fading music like the Oscars trying to get me out of the stage, okay? Every MGM movie has a line. Rawr, in the beginning of yeah. it, okay? Buffalo Wild Wings. There's a buffalo with wings, but they roar like a lion. The wind in the lion. Clarence, the cross-eyed lion. Narnia, the Chronicles of Narnia. Come on now. Come I mean, on now. Lion, li- lions roar. What are you getting at here? What are we, what are we uh, working with him? Wizard of Oz, also a great line movie. What I'm saying is let Joey Burrow roar. That's what I'm That's what I'm really saying. <laughs> All right. Now you're getting the playoff music. I'm sorry for the listeners. Uh, sorry. We'll see we'll you guys talk next to you week. We'll talk to you next week. <laughs>